Welcome to the TV Talk Machine. I'm Tim Goodman, the Chief Television Critic for The Hollywood Reporter. And yeah, we're back here with uh, TVTM number three, um, continuing our, or my, crazy twist and turn voyage on the podcast trail. And I'm in Los Angeles at the Television Critics press tour, the winter version. But hell, it's January, it's 2014, it's time to get this thing going. And uh, hopefully the TVTM will come to you in all kinds of assortments. Long, short, stars, no stars, network executives, or sometimes just me just rambling. Yep, I'm sure you'll look forward to that. Uh, listen, I wanted to do a couple of things as we move forward. I'm down here um, taking a look at the shows that are going to come out in what's technically the mid-season, um, but in, you know, for lack of a better explanation of mid-season, it's uh, the shows that are going to come out in the new year, starting in January. So some of them have already launched. True Detective on HBO, really great. Really love that. Justified's back out as far as like returning series. There's plenty of those. But what I wanted to do before we, uh, or before I got, keep saying the Royal We, maybe I should just call it the Royal We. I'm so used to uh, having a co-host on this, but as I uh, take the TV talk machine and revamp it, uh, move forward. One of the things I wanted to do, though, was go back and talk about some of the great shows in 2013. Not just because television doesn't really work on the calendar year anyway, but also because many of the shows that popped up in my lists are shows that people didn't get to see. And so they're going to be seeking them out either through Netflix or Hulu or iTunes or however they want to find it, Amazon.com in some instances, so they'll find it on some platform, or they'll just rent it. Maybe they'll buy the DVDs, because um, some of these certainly should be on your shelf if you're a TV collector. And um, there's so much coming out in 2014. We're getting a glimpse of it down here. Uh, I'm down here with about roughly 200 critics from across the United States and also into Canada. Um, well, probably not 200, but 200 total TV critics and TV reporters covering this event. It's a twice-yearly event. Um, the other one's in July. But this winter version of the TCA, we're seeing some stuff that coming up that I think is going to be fantastic. And I, again, it's going to be a topic that I probably hammer home on uh, the TV talk machine. And that's we're overwhelmed by quality choices. And you need to really make time for it or you have to make the right decisions on your DVR. And hopefully I'll be here to help you get through that give you some advice on what's good, what's great. Sometimes that's a, de, that's a defining element. Some people don't have time for good because there's too much great. And um, hopefully steer you in the right direction. As well as, you know, I will have a number of uh, celebrities, uh, stars on shows that I like, people that I like, basically. And I'll be able to talk to them, much like I talked to um, in San Francisco. Those are people who know me from work that I did up there, you'll probably remember that I talked to uh, Matthew Weiner, uh, David Simon, and uh, Vince Gilligan, and did uh, those onstage interviews up in San Francisco, which were a big hit and big crowds. And uh, so I'm trying to replicate that uh, on the podcast. We'll have we'll have some people I, down here. I've got some confirmation from a number of people that they'll do it, uh, which is great. And uh, but it's just about carving out time, and I make no apologies about uh, 
going back to do year-end lists so late. Here we are at, uh, uh, in January already because there's just an overwhelming onslaught of shows uh, that are coming out. And, uh, you know, I'm not whining about it. It's not really a real job that I have here. I'm pretty lucky to have it. But um, it's okay to look back and uh, take a breath and look back at some of the great stuff that's out there because, like I said, so many people haven't had a chance to to even get to these. So let me start with uh, my first list, which will be on this, uh, which will comprise this whole podcast. But uh, I did a top 20 list of best dramas on television. Uh, and then I later separated out a list of best network shows, uh, network dramas. And I, cause it's because I just, I'm just a firm believer that there's, there's such a different playing field. It's unfair in many ways what network dramas have to do the audience that they have to go for and because of that there's sort of a when you're playing in the big tent and going for a wide appeal most number of viewers possible in a certain demo I mean that really that really sort of impinges on what a series creator can do what they can write what they can show what themes they can undertake and I just don't think it's a fair playing field and that for that reason I really believe so much more great work is being done on cable. And so these shows that uh, made my list, these top 20 are all cable cable or streaming platform series. So uh, number one was Breaking Bad, no, no doubt there. And probably nothing needs to be said more about Breaking Bad because that hasn't already been said and, and, and written. And I certainly did a, a number of those. Um, but Broadchurch uh, on BBC America came in at number, tur- at number two. And to me, that's like, you know, it was so... Eight episodes that were just gutting, a murder mystery done by the BBC. Um, it was just adult. It was serious. It was um, expertly acted and written. Now, Broadchurch is going to be redone for American television on Fox. I'm a little skeptical about that, but, you know, I just, you can't, I'm not going to say I hate it before I see it. That doesn't make any sense. And besides the, uh, the main person behind Broadchurch is going to do, help do season one, and he's going to write the pilot, and he's going to write the Bible, um, and that's that's more important. The Bible is basically how how the show should unfold, how it's conceived, how the characters should be framed and written, how it should look. Um, but the Broadchurch that we're going to see on Fox, at some probably not until 2015, but the Broadchurch that we'll see there is... Um, going to be 10 episodes. It's going to have a separate or a different ending, I'm sorry, from the original version that made my list here in the number two slot. And it's going to be a twist, um, whereas the British version is a definitive tie-up on, you know, who the killer is. And um, But I, I, would, I would urge you to go out and get Broadchurch to find it and watch it. It's really amazing. And uh, in the number three slot, I have The Returned, which is on the Sundance channel. Boy, they've really done some Amazing stuff lately. You'll hear more than one sh- of those shows on my list. They have really stepped up their game, and they're working really in this uh, this uh, short form area where they're where they're into either mini series or they're into limited number of episodes, say eight to ten. Um, and then if it works, they'll bring it back. And I, I just think that that that's I think that's the future of television, um, except for you know, staged sitcoms, you know, your traditional multi-camera sitcoms. I think you can still do 24 of those 
no one's expecting super high quality out of those anyway. You can kind of bang them out. Um, and the other thing is like procedurals that you'll see on Fox. Um, you can you can get 22 episodes out of them, even 24. 22 is the standard for the season. But anything that's a little bit more ambitious, I think you have to, if you cut the order down, then you get a much, much higher quality. And, um, and I think that... Uh, what they're doing on Sundance Channel is and 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 the trend that's sweeping cable. That's the that's the way to go. Uh, it's even getting into network television, as we found out here at the Winter Press Tour of TCA. That everybody's going to these. They're calling it event programming, I guess, because miniseries or short form wasn't uh, or limited series wasn't as sexy as event programming. But any in either case, I think the viewer benefits because the quality is better. You get better writers. You get better actors. Um, some of the work we've already seen that's coming up in 2014 is going to be spectacular. So anyway, um, the re the return on Sundance Channel, which originally was billed as a French zombie series, but it's not that. It's definitely a genre buster uh, in that regard, and um, I loved it. And it, there will be a second season. Uh, I, I think there's only on the return there's only eight episodes. You should definitely track it down. It's fantastic. Probably the most mesmerizing and creepy thing I saw all of uh, all of 2013. And, and creepy not in like a scary horror kind of way, but just atmospherically it was like nothing I'd ever seen. In fact, some of these things, some of these series on my on my list are here because they were startling in a sense that I hadn't seen anything like that before. And man, that is really really rare in this day and age so yeah check out the returned if you haven't already it's really amazing and um there one thing that uh i should point out is that coming up on abc in the in uh 2014 soon maybe by i can't remember what the start date is on it but there's a series called resurrection based on a book called the returned which has nothing to do with the french series i'm talking about the french series i'm talking about quote the returned uh, is actually based on a film, and um, sadly, that film, not many people liked it, so take that out of the equation. You don't have to see that, and um, just focus on, on this series. But again, ABC has a, a, a show called Resurrection based on really the same idea, um, and um, I have no idea if they were going to artfully do it like the French version. I really doubt it. Um, certainly visually, I doubt it. Um, there's a little tiny, tiny bit of buzz about resurrection, but I think it's because we got the, we got the clip of it so late. Um, but just didn't want you to get confused, especially if you hear this and then all of a sudden see something that looks like the return on, on ABC. It's not. So, um, check it out on Sundance, track it down if you can. Number four on my list is Game of Thrones. Not much needs to be said about that other than I think Game of Thrones is really the poster series for um, taking what pay cable allows a creator to do, and that is the obvious stuff, right, that you can swear, um, you can kill, you can show nudity, you can show sex, you can show gratuitous nudity and sex, and I think that that's given... You know, when you when you get into a pay cable situation, and by that I mean you're paying for Showtime or HBO or Stars, it's you know it's some people just get carried away with it. I think that's a, a perfect example of some of the work that's being done on Stars. I think that 
the liberty given um, creators, they just kind of don't know what to do with it. And I think that Game of Thrones, you, it's still in the writing. Obviously, television's a writer's medium, and it's all in the writing. It's really dense. It's intelligent. It's sophisticated storytelling. Multiple characters. Obviously, the source material is amazing. Yet, do they have sex and violence in there? Of course, but they and they, you know, they certainly get away with a lot on it. But they, it's not. You don't feel like it's cheesy. It's still it's still in service of a bigger story. Whereas um, a lot of stars series, I'm currently reviewing and watching a series, a pirate series on stars called Black Sails, um, and they struggle with the freedom that they're given because they're a pay cable show. And part of that is being dictated from the top on stars. I think stars already tried to do their HBO branded stuff in boss and that didn't quite work out for them. So I think you will see more genre series from them with a little bit more of an exploitative, uh, angle on the nudity and maybe even in the, in the violence, but it's really got to be in the storytelling and the writing and not quite there. Uh, in Black Sails, but it is a notch above some of the other stuff that they've been doing. All right, so moving on, um, my fifth drama is Orphan Black on BBC America. Definitely get out and get that. Ten episodes, the second season's coming up, uh, I believe, in the spring. Tatiana Maslany is such an incredible, incredible actress. The fact that she is not currently holding an Emmy or a Golden Globe is is really a, a shame and a sham. Um, I doubt we'll be saying that next season. I think she's going to have one of each in her hands uh, a year from now. But uh, that's neither here nor there. I think you should definitely check it out. It's a really strong, strong series on BBC America. Beautifully shot. Uh, and you like that. And uh, coming in at number six is The Walking Dead. Obviously, again, another series that doesn't need a whole lot uh, of deconstruction. We already know what it does and what it's about. But I'll say it again. What I really love about Walking Dead is that the story, the compelling part of it is that it's about the living and not the dead. You know, that's zombies are in some way secondary to the story, and that's what makes it work. Uh, certainly for me, not a big fan of uh, horror. So, you know, although now I have come after watching that show and loving it so much, I actually have become a big zombie fan for movies. But they're doing two different things. They're, you know, they're in the service of two different goals. So, um, Walking Dead at number six. The Americans at number seven. Now, the Americans were here uh, for FX. They were paneled for season two, uh, which will be coming out shortly. And I think it's going to be another strong season for them. But that's the, if you haven't heard of it and you want to track it down, it's on FX. Season one's completed. You can probably rent it somewhere. And I highly recommend it. And, you know, it's the show that Homeland really wishes it was. Homeland 1, season 1 was great, of course, but 2 and 3 were a joke. And um, this is the show you should be watching. It's the Reagan-era Cold War between the Soviets and the United States, and it's just uh, it's really excellent. And I'm super excited to see uh, season 2. And again, that's, an, that's another great thing about television here, and we talk about you know why am I recapping what happened in 2013. It's because television is a, you know, the storylines, they're living, breathing they they go on. They don't end. It's not a two-hour movie. And um, so I'm excited to see uh, see what they've got in store for season two of The Americans because I'm in love with the characters. I'm in love with the story. And um, it's like a good book. 
That's why television is so strong, I think, these days. Uh, coming in at number eight, I have Orange is the New Black on Netflix. I think that, you know, I've, I've talked before that House of Cards really had all the hype and, you know, when, when Netflix was really launching itself as a, as a serious player in the original content um, business, House of Cards was there, clearly their high-profile, high-priced project. Um, and it didn't work out as great, obviously. I mean, it's, it's strong. It'll be on my list. But Orange is the New Black, which is um, from Genji Koan, who did Weeds, much stronger. I think this women prison series um, was surprising in how it told the stories of those women involved. It's based on a true life story and a, and a book. But um, I was fascinated by Orange is the New Black because it's funny. Uh, it's uh, dramatic. It's, uh, it's surprising. And, and, and the stories and the backstories they get for these women. Uh, will it be able to hold itself up as strong in season two? Who knows? You know, I think um, as much as I like Genji Cohen, I think Weeds is a good indication that given enough rope, yeah, given enough rope, she will take things in a direction that maybe in the in subsequent seasons are not as strong as the initial one. So we'll see. I'm hope, I have high hopes for season two, but if you haven't seen it yet, Get on Netflix, get that streaming, Orange is the New Black, coming in at number eight. I have Rectify on, again, Sundance Channel in the number nine slot. And, again, that's another another series I'm really excited about um, for this year because uh, it was only eight episodes last year. It'll be ten this year. And it's about uh, uh, a guy who spends 20 years in prison for a murder charge, and he's uh, he's, uh, he's sentenced to die, and he's um, solitary confinement for most of it. And what he, what happens when you take that person out of a little box that he's been in and grown up in, basically, because he went in as a teenager and he comes out, and here you know, 20 years later, and here he is trying to survive as a freed, innocent man in this society. And he's uh, still in his hometown, in the hometown where it happened. So that obviously ups the, ups the ante, and there's a there's a movement to get him back in jail, um, on the charges. But that's a really strong series. So if you haven't seen Rectify, it's it's part of this thing that uh, um, critics, me included, are call what we label as slow TV. It moves really slow. I mean, if you're looking for a ton of action, that's probably not your series. But if you're looking for a character study where the writing is amazing and the acting is incredibly nuanced, definitely check out Rectify. I highly recommend it. In the 10 slot, rounding out the top 10 in my um, best dramas of 2013 is Mad Men. And, you know, again, in this series, you don't need to talk too much about it other than I think, you know, I'm, I'm ready to write my defense of Mad Men. I think this thing, this series fell off of a lot of lists. I think people were punitive in their assessment of season six, because it has been around for a long time. And one of the caveats I say when I talk about Mad Men is that season six was, yes, it was stretched out contractually to get to a seventh season, to be rewarded for their fifth season. They had this contract that Matt Weiner signed, um, basically got them a, a sixth season with a uh, uh, an option for a seventh season, which of course, <laughs> which of course AMC was going to pick up definitely wanted to have this seventh and final season that we'll have coming up in spring. 
But to get to there, that little leap between five and seven, you had this past season. And yeah, they stretched out the storylines. They revisited topics I think that they probably shouldn't have. But ultimately, I, I, I just think there's so much great work visually and act and, and, and the acting and the writing is remains incredible. If you look over the season that Mad Men had, there were relatively few uh, disappointing episodes. And I think existing series had it much, much harder to maintain their quality. And um, as I've written before, no series has been as great as Mad Men is in their sixth season. And I'm talking like top tier, top five series of all time. Um, you just can't. I mean, The Wire went five seasons. The Sopranos went seven, I believe, but their sixth season was not good. Uh, certainly not up to par for them as they stretched out in, in ways to to get into the finale. But, you know, given that, I think we should cut Mad Men some slack, and I am in very much looking forward to the final season. Uh, in the 11th slot is Southland on TNT, which, you know, one sentence, it's the last great cop show. You know, NBC had no idea what they developed, didn't work on their channel, they moved it to TNT. Uh, say what you want about TNT, they did nurture it, they did get it through a number of excellent seasons, but it just didn't fit the TNT mold. I don't think, um, I think it was too edgy, I hate the word, but it was too edgy for TNT, so they passed on it and they moved on. But look, find that, definitely find that and, and stream it or rent it, it's excellent. Yeah, I know a lot of people just never got into it because, you know, what are you going to do after The Wire and the, and the Shield? Those are the greatest cop series of all time, and there's no reason to really revisit the genre. But, again, I've said it before, Southland, last great cop show, and I'm not sure we'll see another one of this quality. I hope so. I mean, I love cop series. So I hope somebody will take it up, but certainly haven't seen it since. In the number 12 slot, I had uh, Top of the Lake, another Sundance Channel series. Um, so that's... You know, I, I can't I can't talk enough about how these niche channels are really stepping up their game as the competition for scripted series becomes just more cutthroat. I mean, there's so many options for, you know, discerning viewers. And Top of the Lake, the Jane Campion miniseries was phenomenal. Elizabeth Moss just won a Golden Globe for her performance in it, and she was spectacular. There were so many other performances in here from people you've never heard of. They're so good. And the writing is uh, not only strong, there's a, there's a weak character in it. There's a little arc that I don't like so much in it, but there's a lot of freshness in the writing. It's a, I think Campion, knowing that she was doing a miniseries, was able to sort of break the boundaries of traditional storytelling. And so she went off. The example I would give is that Holly Hunter is in this show and her character is kind of a, like a phenomenal little one-off character that you would write if you're a writer uh, and stick in this miniseries. Um, you know, is she, is she essential from beginning to end? Not really, but she's there because, you know, it's a piece of art and uh, Jane Campion was able to write this really, uh, really intriguing character for Holly Hunter. Uh, but uh, But that's an example of how that how that miniseries succeeded uh, by breaking some boundaries and some and like traditional storytelling, but I really loved it. It's really atmospheric. You should definitely check that out. Coming in at thirteen, I have Boardwalk Empire on HBO, and you know, look, I got into a little bit of trouble when I said that uh, Boardwalk Empire wasn't compelling. 
And I never said it wasn't great or didn't remain great, but I think the argument still stands. This was its best season by far, but if you look at the structure of, of Boardwalk Empire, it really does start slowly and builds uh, slowly in the storytelling. It's beautiful. I mean, I think it's, it's well done. It's a beautiful thing to look at. Uh, the acting's amazing, and, and the writing's really solid. But when you get to the sort of last four episodes, it goes off like a Roman candle, and it becomes amazing. Um, and it delivers on all its promise, usually in the last three or four episodes. Um, but again, that's, that's a de by definition in this crowded dramatic universe. I think that's definitely not compelling, because when it's on your DVR, like it's on mine every Sunday, I look at... I'm I'm definitely going to watch Breaking Bad as soon as it happens, right? The instant it happens, so it doesn't get ruined for me on Twitter. Um, same goes for The Walking Dead. I watch that live. And Boardwalk Empire, I'm like, eh, love it, but not really compelled to press play on Sunday. I can wait till Wednesday or Thursday and check it out at that point. So that's what I meant by not compelling. I didn't mean it wasn't great. Still, still a very, very good series that that finished its best season and uh, comes in at 13. At 14, I have a Netflix series that you probably haven't heard of because it kind of came out right about the same time that House of Cards did, and it was an acquisition from Netflix. Uh, uh, I believe it's BBC and an Irish production, but it's called The Fall, and it's a five-episode series called, starring Gillian Anderson. It's another serial killer. Uh, <laughs> well, it's a multiple homicide type story and it's because and it's not like a freaky serial killer but you know everybody that trope is sort of played out but everybody's doing that lately but this is expertly done it's only five episodes and uh Gillian Anderson is unlike I think you've ever seen her before um, X-Files fans would want to check it out but you know she's done pretty good work and 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 in this she's she's amazing and again five episodes you can't uh you can't beat that you're in and you're out and coming in at number 15 of the 20 that I picked was uh, Justified. And, you know, it was uh, Elmore Leonard died that year. He meant so much to the to the cast and obviously to the writers. Uh, and all, all I will say is that, you know, he, of all the projects that have been made out of his, his books, uh, Elmore Leonard said that Justified got it dead right and kept making it perfect. He was... Justified was the, the the perfect translation of his work and the reimagining in some ways of his work. Uh, and he was most proud of what they did with a, his short story about Raylan. And, you know, that actually got him to prompt him to write another book about Raylan, a book, full book instead of just a short story. And um, it's just kind of amazing. And uh, he's going to be missed. It's going to take its toll. But, you know, I love that they were little wristbands that says, you know, what would Elmore do? Uh, WWED, and that's a reminder for the writers there to do their best work and keep the voice consistent, keep the standard time. So, uh, again, second season, I mean, the latest season of Justified has already started. I'm already behind on it because I'm down here in Los Angeles at the, the Television Critics Press Tour. Um, and uh, but I will catch up on that, and hopefully in future podcasts. And again, hopefully we'll be doing more of these podcasts randomly, um, short ones, long ones, with celebrities, without celebrities, quick updates on breaking news, maybe just five minutes here or there about 
a, you know, something that's a, a great series that we need to talk about. But uh, I'll definitely catch up on, on Justified, and we'll talk about that more in, in 2014 as we go on. But it, it hit the hit number 15 on my list. And 16 uh, is Masters of Sex on Showtime. It's really the only Showtime series that made my list because, um, you know, I take these things seriously. I, I, it's kind of a joke that, you know, I did three lists, and I will separate them into podcasts. But I... It, I, I do take list making seriously, and uh, to the point where I'm rehashing a story I'm sure I've told before. Um, even as I headline these these season-ending lists, is that I've told Hollywood reporters like you know it's impossible for me to make a top ten list. It's just impossible. It's kind of it's asinine to even ask me to do that because you know we're not quite in the 500 channel universe, but we're damn close, and the number of of those channels that are churning out original scripted material is is mind-boggling and it's so hard to keep up with them uh, it would be impossible to limit 10 total shows out of that gigantic universe of of original material and certainly it would be hard to c- cut it down where you have five dramas and five five comedies there's no way i could do that so I ha- that's why i have all of these lists and um but um yeah, so for Showtime, the one that made it, I'm not, some of their stuff is really strong. I think maybe if Ray Donovan gets better, it'll make it uh, in the next uh, next year. But Masters of Sex was, uh, it's kind of funny because it, you know, I joked, and I, I didn't joke, I actually wrote in my story that it's not the, about the boobs, it's about the brains in this one. And But some people have joked that, God, you know, for a series that has so much nudity in it, it's kind of boring. But that's not really what it was about. It's about the the... Masters and Johnson and the evolution of the time and place and how we as Americans uh, talked about sex and sexuality. So along those lines, I think they're doing really good work, great acting. I think the second season of Masters of Sex will look back on that and say that it improved greatly. I mean, I just really think that they they know what the shortcomings were. I think they're going to fix that. But all told, for a freshman season... I think they did um, exemplary stuff, and I think that you should watch that if you haven't already. Uh, it's strong, and a lot of good performances there. I, I'm, I'm eager for, I think just to, from a critical perspective, to see what they've learned and how they apply that and get better in Season 2. All right, and so 17 uh, is, a, is a series a lot of people don't even have never heard of. It's on Hulu, and it's called The Wrong Man's Plural. And it's a really jarring tonal shift here where you have um, a comedy and you've got a, well, it's a dramedy, obviously, but you've got comedy, you've got dramatic thriller elements. Um, but what they do really well is in, in, in each scene, the comedy is distinctly different from the action, but they treat both with respect. So, you know, they don't just flippantly put a joke in there for any reason. It's just really well done. It's almost effortlessly done if you look at it. It seems like a really loose series that is almost like they shot it on the fly. But you can, if you go back and, and you know rewatch it, I've seen multiple episodes of it or second watching them second time, and you can just see the artistry where it just they make it look really easy. It, but again, the show is kind of flippantly fun in in, in, the, in its premise uh, and damn funny and um, also thrilling and kind of like surprising. Because when you jam those those tones, like I said, it's a 
sort of a tonal nightmare where you're trying to, you're trying to, it's really hard to do. It's one of my favorite thing when serious creators try to take drama and comedy and mash them together um, and take the drama really seriously uh, in telling the story. It's hard to do. Um, the hardest thing to do, I think. So I really love The Wrong Man's, partly because of its ambition in attempting that, but also the execution was, for me, um, very well done and super entertaining. So if you haven't seen The Wrong Man's, get on Hulu and track that down. Uh, at number 18, I have The Bridge. Uh, you've probably heard of that, of course. Uh, another excellent freshman series, this one from FX. And um, it tells a story about half in Mexico and half in the United States. Uh, again, serial killer, of course. I'm kind of hoping that fades out uh, as a storytelling idea. But I did think that they did a wonderful job with this. The writing, acting, solid. Uh, the one thing that I noted in my, if you haven't seen this series, well, even if you have, I think you'll, I hope you'll agree with me. I think you probably will. A lot of people did. And that was that the writers made a decision, and this is not a spoiler, the writers made a decision, because I'm not going to tell you what it is, to do something with the actress, who uh, the main actress, and not tell the audience completely about her. Now, I thought that was a mistake because the thing that they're quote-unquote hiding, once it's revealed in the third episode, it's not a big deal. Uh, for me, had they put that up front and put that right out in front of our noses and, and we absorbed a little bit more about her character, I think it would have explained the acting because the acting was the part, her acting was holding up my appreciation of the quality. But, you know, once you get past the third episode and once you're sort of clued into why she acts the way she acts, uh, I think the bridge gets much better. Uh, again, it's uh, it's not completely polished. It was in its first season, but I, I have a lot of hope for that one. And I think the it was creepy, and stuff. the stuff in Mexico was amazing, really amazing. So I, I again, look for, forward to the second season of that. They're shooting that now, um, and I can't wait to see that. Uh, coming at, at 19 of 20 was uh, Luther on uh, BBC America. And, you know, Idris Elba is just fantastic. You know, and he's one of these guys in the series where he is the series. You know, in another podcast, when I talk about the, the broadcast dramas, I'll mention Blacklist and James Bader. I mean, that the show, the entire show is James Bader acting. Uh, and, and while Idris Elba is surrounded by some great writing at times and superb acting. He really is the center of Luther and he's the sort of, you know, the heartbeat of the series. And, and though it can be a little bit crazy on the twists and, uh, the heightened drama, they're not afraid to go for it in, in, um, in Luther. And I think that's because it's not a really long running series. They don't have that much time. So they try to make it the impact big and bold. And so, Sometimes they maybe push it a little too far for for some people, but I really I really love it. Uh, his performance, I could watch him do anything, and he really feels Luther. And I loved uh, seasons one and two. Season three, the one that's made this list, is certainly a little crazier, but um, still liked it. And uh, rounding out and finalizing the list at number twenty is uh, House of Cards on Netflix. And you know, it's this is a little bit like I look at this a little bit like. Mad Men and that it had to be on the list because I just think it got dismissed because it was the poster child for the emergence of Netflix and 
Kevin Spacey and and all the, the all the high priced actors and David Fincher and all the stuff that was just two hundred million dollar production and it got all this buzz and then it came out and it was good not you know not super great I think it floundered towards the end but it tried things there were some characters I didn't particularly like um, but there was a lot here and. I just think that you can't leave this off the list. I mean, it, it, certainly Orange is the New Black and Arrested Development, I think, were better examples of work done on Netflix. But House of Cards, just because it was the high-priced poster child, I don't think it should be dismissed. Because I don't think its failures were as great as others think they were. Um, so maybe you watch it and watch it again for those who have seen it. And if you were underwhelmed or thought it was good but not great maybe watch it again and um i think you might have a better appreciation for it all right well that's my uh my uh top 20 dramas on of 2013 and again i think it's good to look back because a lot of people didn't get to see these shows and if you didn't i hope you will put them on your list and get out there and get these uh watch them when you can and um i will tap into the other two i'll tap into comedies best comedies of 2013 and also the best uh, network dramas of 2013 in separate podcasts and again look forward to uh, more podcasts here for tv talk machine uh we've got it up and running we have no rules <laughs> i have no rules i talk in the royal we if i want to and um but yeah look for the evolution of this podcast and uh, and thanks for listening and we'll see you next time